Did you know that overcoming past disappointments is a hard thing to do? Just in a vacuum, they are hard to overcome. But sometimes our inability to move forward with our lives is self-inflicted. One of the ways that we can do that is that we can manipulate or use our past disappointments, our past suffering as a way to gain acceptance or love or respect or even self-pity from others. The things that have happened to us become our identity. It becomes who we are and it can grow out of bounds to the point to where we manipulate our relationships. Biff was such a person Clinging to the past not only gave him an identity, but it was a manipulative method to control his friendships. And that's why I titled the podcast, Manipulating Others with the Things That Have Happened to You. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. Your Daily Drive is the podcast where I put our articles in audio format so that you can listen on the go. Speaking of on the go, Lucia and I just came back from Washington State. We arrived about one o'clock this morning as we spent the last six days near Spokane toward the middle of the state with one of our VAs, virtual assistants, one of the kind people that works for us, Julie, uh, we talked about maybe a, a couple of years ago that she asked me if I would baptize her, and and yes, the answer is yes. And so we flew to Washington State to spend some time with her and her husband, Ron, and I had the privilege of baptizing her a few days ago, and it was such an exciting and, and wonderful time. We have never met her Face-to-face, we live across the country. Because of the redemptive use of technology, we can work together, we can co-labor together, but we've never met in person before, is what I meant to say. We have met through our Zoom technology. We communicate virtually every day, and so we have built a long-distance relationship, but we got to officially meet, officially hug, and even baptize a couple of days ago, and so we have returned. I'm struggling with just a little bit of jet lag, but I'm glad that we could make the trip. Some of you who have been following us more closely, you know that Julie was diagnosed with ALS a few months back, and so we have been following along with that, encouraging her, keeping up to speed. It is slow progressing, but if you Uh, remember that. If you would say a prayer for Julie, I would certainly appreciate it. She's indispensable as far as our ministry is concerned. She's been working as a virtual assistant for, for several years now, and she's such an integral part of our ministry Uh, she has good functioning of her limbs at this point, but as you know, ALS is a debilitating disease, and so if you would pray for her, that would be fantastic. And again, it was a wonderful time to be able to baptize her. I'm so grateful that we had that opportunity. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Please go on our website, rickthomas.net. You can find the article, Manipulating Others with the Things That Have Happened to You. Biff is our always case study, and and this is where he is right now. He read the note 
that nobody wants to receive. Years later, he called it the note from Hades. After arriving home from a hard day at work, he found this note, this letter on the kitchen table. It said, quote, you're right. We can't go on this way. I have left. I'll call you this weekend. Signed, Mabel. Seventeen little words. Terror, shock, fear, guilt, shame, and anger collided at the intersection in Biff's heart. It was like an explosion of the soul. Biff's mind went racing. He had no idea what to do, so he slunk down into a kitchen chair, stared at nothing in particular as the numbness began to creep over his entire body. Life as it had been known, as Biff has known it, was forever altered. That much he knew. But what he was supposed to do next was eluding him. And so he cried. In the days and months to come, he cried often. The shadowy red cloud, uh, gray clouds rolled in and taunted him daily. Over the next 12 months, Biff lost 40 pounds. His friends, who had not seen him in a while and had no idea what was going on in his life, thought he looked fantastic. How ironic is that? You've never looked better, Biff. He was going through the worst time of his life. Some of them wanted to know his weight loss secret. Sometimes he would say what had happened. He would just spill the beans and lay it out for some of his friends. Other times he would say, it's the grace of God, and go on while leaving them amazed and a little bit jealous at his spiritual maturity. Whether talking about it or spiritualizing it, he was correct, though at other times he awkwardly wiggled his way from talking about what was happening to him. Finally, because of several appeals from his close friends, Biff decided to get some help. He went to see his pastor. After a few insightful and probing questions, it became apparent that Biff did not want to get better. Did you hear that? Biff did not want to get better. And when his pastor said that, Biff was startled. He was startled because he was exposed. He was startled because he didn't know that his pastor had that kind of insight. Initially, he did not agree with his pastor's assessment. He persisted and presented himself as struggling and anxious and fearful and shameful and guilt-ridden and depressed and sometimes angry, but never okay with where he was with all of this. On the one hand, Biff was correct in how he felt, but he could not easily dismiss his pastor's perspective, though he tried. At one moment, Biff blurted out, That's idiotic. Why would I want to suffer like this? Why would I want to stay in this condition? Why would I not want to move forward? In hindsight, his protest was somewhat weak, and he was secretly pleased that his pastor discerned the situation. And you'll hear that from time to time when a person is, is caught in some long-term habituation, some type of sin pattern, and they don't want to get caught, but they are caught, and 
And then they will say, I was actually glad that I was caught. I didn't want to reveal this myself, and I'm glad finally that it came out because now I can pursue help. At some level of Biff's soul, he he wanted someone to expose him. He hoped someone would figure out the mess he was in and walk him through the complexity of his heart's struggles. And his pastor had the discernment and the insight and the courage to share with Biff what Biff knew, though he was in denial. You see, suffering and freedom, they're antagonistic to each other, but they converged in Biff's soul. I'm going through this horrendous separation and divorce from my wife, and I need to be free, which is what he longed for. And so the suffering and the freedom converged and was having a a wrestling match. It was tearing him apart from the inside. The suffering was his constant companion, a frenemy. I think that's how you say it, a frenemy, a friend who is an enemy. Though he longed for freedom from the nightmare, The real culprit that was riding underneath all of this was an abiding fear that was born out of practical unbelief in God. The ruling fear inhibited him from fully pushing forward into the freedom that God offered in his gospel. Biff knew there was freedom in the gospel, that there was powerful freedom in the gospel, but the suffering was entangling him, and so he lived in fear. It was also his fear of the future that motivated him to disagree with his pastor's assessment, though his heart was not fully committed to his own protestations. Mercifully, his pastor did not let it go. He continued to carefully and compassionately, but yet accurately, press Biff. See, the thing is, is that Biff was using his suffering as a way to manipulate acceptance and pity. He became so comfortable and efficient. You know, you can become efficient in your suffering. When you use your suffering to manipulate others, to manipulate relationships, you can become a professional at it. You can become efficient, and he was both comfortable and efficient at using his pain and suffering that he didn't want to let it go. It was just habitual now. He didn't even have to think about it. In a twisted way, Biff saw his trouble as a way of serving these inner cravings, these inner longings of the soul, acceptance, love, respect, self-pity, or to receive pity rather from, from others. I want to share with you four specific ways in which Biff perverted the gospel by resting in his self-reliant means for survival. You see, Biff became a survivalist. He, he was thrust into the crucible of suffering when his wife left. When she gave him those 17 words, he found himself in the midst of this unbearable suffering with no extrication, no way to get out of it. Eventually, he became comfortable with it in the crucible of suffering. And he found that he could receive love and acceptance. He could receive an identity that did not seem adverse, but it became complicated within. 
And though he knew he was manipulating the truth, he honestly did not see how complex and exacting his heart was when it came to his true motivations. And so here are four things that was going on, four ways in which Biff was manipulating the situation, manipulating relationships, using his suffering as an identity. Number one, pain was a connection with the past. The pain that he was going through was like a sign that that described what had happened to the past, a past that he longed for, a past that he loved. You see, Biff loved his wife. And though his motivations for loving her were not wholly pure, as none of ours are, his separation and the accompanying pain was the closest thing he could feel regarding the relationship that he did not want to let go of. And even though the pain was hard and acute, at times he had rather hold on to it because it gave him a connection to the past because Biff loved his wife. From his perspective, to walk away from the pain was to walk away from his past. And it was one more degree of separation from his wife or his ex-wife, which was one more nail in the coffin of his marriage and any hope of any kind of future restoration. Letting go of the suffering was an admission that he had to close the door. He had to move on with his life which is why he was unwilling to make that admission. He was not ready to trust God. You see, I talked earlier about how he had this underwriting fear that was connected to an unwillingness or a lack of trust in God. Well, now you can see one of the fears that I was talking about. His pain kept him connected to the past, and he feared separating from his pain because it meant he would separate from his past, and he didn't want to let go of what he had. He was not ready to trust God fully. He was not ready to embrace a new life that God was holding out to him. He was not ready to move on. I know sometimes we can simplistically counsel folks who are struggling with their past in a similar way in which Biff is here, and we can give them that simplistic counsel. We just need to move forward, not realizing that there are these undergirding, these undergirding cravings of the heart. Biff saw his pain as a connection with his past. This is one of the ways that Biff perverted the gospel by resting in his self-reliant means for survival. Number two, the pain allowed him to receive sympathy for what was happening to him. The pain, the past, the suffering was not only a connection to that which he loved, But pain also manipulated sympathy for what was happening to him. Suffering became his identity. You see, many people rallied around him during his season of turmoil. And while it was the right Christian thing to do, for people to come alongside him, to rally around him, Biff slowly began to twist their compassion into a means of gaining attention. Oh, how perverted we are. Oh, how twisted we can be when we use our suffering to manipulate relationships, taking the goodness from good Christian friends and using their compassion as a way of gaining affirmation, love, attention. 
You see, Biff lived alone, and it was an isolated nightmare for him. He believed that if he moved on, people would forget about him, and they too would move on. From his perspective, he could not move on. To move on meant to lose the sympathy of his friends and the attention that he craved. Four ways in which Biff was perverting the gospel, not exposing himself to the power of the gospel. One, his pain kept him connected to the past, to the wife that he loved. Number two, the pain allowed him to receive sympathy for what was happening. Number three, the pain said the past mattered. The pain was a reminder that the past was important. Biff had construed that that the pain was the context that told everyone that what he did mattered. If he embraced the freedom that God offered through the gospel, in Biff's mind, it meant that the pain and suffering that he went through did not matter anymore. Biff did not want to detach himself from what he went through. It was too significant. It was too profound. He didn't want to say that it didn't matter. Going on, living in the freedom and the power of the gospel, well, that meant that what he went through didn't matter. He, he lost sight of the ongoing narrative that God was writing for his life. God was moving forward. God wanted him to move forward. The truth was that he was not moving on to the next phase, totally disconnecting himself from the last phase. God's plan is always to use the past to build upon and bring more redemptive purpose to the next thing that he is scripting out for you. Biff didn't want to move on to the next thing. He didn't want to take advantage of the pain that way. He was still using the pain as a way to to garner an identity and to manipulate acceptance rather than building upon the pain building another phase on top of what he went through for more redemptive impact. God does not waste pain. But if we are unwilling to move forward from what happened, allowing the Lord to use the suffering in our lives for the benefit of others and his glory, we will waste the pain. Though Biff was using it for ungodly purposes to garner attention, he was in reality wasting the pain because he was not building upon it. He did not want to relinquish this phase and move on to the next one. You see, Jesus could have stayed in the grave and received the sympathy of many people, or he could have walked out of the tomb into a new venture that would radically alter millions of people. Thankfully, He chose the latter over the former. He came out of the grave. Biff did not want to leave the grave because it was a marker that said what I had back there mattered, and that was the only connection that he had to what was important to him. Biff was using his suffering as a way to manipulate others. He perverted the gospel by resting in these self-reliant means for survival. Number one, pain was a connection to his past. Number two, pain allowed him to receive sympathy for what was happening. Number three, pain said the past mattered, and rather than building upon that platform, he chose to stay ensconced in 
the pain and the suffering that he was going through. And then finally, number four, the pain was Biff's reminder to condemn his wife. Think about this. Though Biff would not admit this twisted truth at the beginning of his sorrows, he used the pain as a way to hold on to bitterness, to anger, to condemnation, and unforgiveness of Mabel. Sometimes the pain serves as a reminder that way, and when it does, the pain is, it has a debilitating effect on our souls. He felt that if he walked away from the suffering and embraced the hope and restoration found in the gospel, he would be releasing Mabel from what she did to him. Biff was not interested in Mabel finding forgiveness. He wanted attention because he was a lonely, miserable man. His struggle was a deep-seated fear born out of an unwillingness to trust God. He could not see the yearning Savior calling him to a better life. He believed in his conniving, in his manipulations of the situation. The title of the podcast is Manipulating Others with the Things that Have Happened to You. I've just looked at four ways in which Biff was clinging on to his regretful past as a way to, to manipulate relationships. What he needed to do is he needed to bring the gospel to bear on his calling. The pastor began to reorient Biff's heart to the gospel rather than what his wife did to him or, or how he had suffered. Biff began to see that the love of God was actively working in his heart and life and that God had some different plans for him. The brokenness was part of God's work in his life. We must come to the place of seeing this. Brokenness is never given to us so that we can wallow in it all of our lives, even if we find our identity in it, even if we manipulate relationships from it, even if we use it as a way to stay bitter and critical and cynical and gossipy toward the perpetrators of whatever it is that we are going through. Biff had to leap from his pain to the suffering that Christ made on his behalf He was going to exchange his suffering. He needed to, his suffering for the suffering of Christ. He knew that he would never experience healing by groveling in self-pity and self-absorption. He needed to trust God by returning to the shepherd and overseer of his soul. As the pastor walked him through a theology of pain Biff was able to see his idolatry. Now, it is one thing to see your idolatry, as I have described it here in Biff's life. It's a wholly other matter to embrace it and to own it and to begin to walk out repentance. The first step required Biff to be honest and transparent about what was happening in his heart. He knew that the pastor was right, but he did not want to admit that the pastor was right even though he was partially glad that he had been exposed. Will Biff be honest and transparent about what was going on in his heart? If he would be, from there he could begin a process of daily repentance, and it would be daily repentance. 
because this monster will come back as often as need be to keep him captured and ensnared to these manipulations. And so Biff needs to not only acknowledge and to own what he is going through, he needs to be honest and transparent. He needs to start walking out daily repentance. One of the ways that he could do that is by sharing with a few close friends the real truth about his conniving. Well, Biff did that. He asked them to not only forgive him for how he used them, but to help hold him accountable. He was bitter at Mabel. And again, as I said earlier, the pain was that reminder that that helped him, motivated him in a sinful way to stay bitter at Mabel. And, And this habituation that he had placed himself in was not going to go away anytime soon. The hurt was deep. But he began to think less about the pain that, that she caused and more about the harm that he caused Christ. That is that reorientation of the gospel. Those of us who afflict us, those who hurt us, that can become dominating and powerful. It can become an identity. It can, can become a manipulation to gain love and respect. We can release to that and embrace another kind of pain, the pain that we caused Christ. Reorienting his mind around the gospel was a huge key, which helped him to work through his problem with pain. If you can bring the gospel to your situation, as I have described it here, you will drastically alter how you see others, how you respond to others, especially those who have hurt you. And as you gain a gospel perspective, you're not only able to see more clearly, but you can respond to God and to others more biblically. The title of this podcast is Manipulating Others with the Things that Have Happened to You. I want to wrap up here by giving you a a brief call to action. Number one, is your past a building stone that has made you more redemptive in the Lord's work? Think about your past, no matter how difficult it has been. In fact, let's think about the disappointments in your past, the hurts that have have been placed upon you. Do you see those hurts as a building stone? Let, Let me give you some insight into this podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you. It's autobiographical. I know Many of you already know that my articles are my personal devotions. Well, this one's even more personal because I actually did these things that that Biff did. As I was getting better from the pain and the suffering that I was going through, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to separate from the story, this horrific story that was in my life because it could garner sympathy from those who were around me. And I felt like that if I distanced myself from the pain of my past, people would not just forget what happened to me, but they would forget me. I did not see my pain as a building stone for the redemptive purposes of the Lord. I saw it as a a method, a building stone to maintain, to secure and maintain relationships. 
You must see your suffering the correct way. You can't cling to it for identity purposes or acceptance purposes or any other type of manipulation. You see your past as a building stone that God is using for his redemptive work. And so my question is, is your past a building stone that has made you more redemptive in the Lord's work? Or is your past a bitter memory that continues to cling to you? Number two, when you grumble about what others have done to you, what are the long-term consequences on your soul? Are you aware? Are you even aware of the effects of not indexing forward into the redemptive purposes that the Lord has for you? I think most people who are stuck in the bitterness and the grumbling and the whining of what has happened to them in the past, they do not see the long-term consequences on their souls. They are blinded to their own blindness, a horrific place to be. If you are grumbling and complaining, and it is a pattern in your life because of what happened to you, then there is adverse effects happening to your soul because you're not indexing forward into the redemptive purposes that the Lord has for you. Finally, number three, do you use your past as a method to gain acceptance, to gain pity, to gain compassion, to gain love? If so, what does that say about your relationship with God? How do you view God? You have an unbiblical problem possibly twisted understanding of God because you're using the script that he's writing into your life to manipulate others for acceptance, pity, compassion, love. How does, what does that reveal about your view of other people, about friendships, how you're using them? This is a dangerous thing, but it is a real thing. If you would like to talk about this podcast, perhaps any other thing, you're welcome to do that. Come to our free community forums and ask your questions. It would be a privilege to serve you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.